So the Torah speaks of Sukkot. Sukkot is one of the holidays. It's on the list of the holidays. In Vayikra, chapter 23. Actually, the Torah's description of Sukkot is very interesting. Very, very interesting. End of chapter 23 of Vayikra. In this translation, page 262. It says... In the list of holidays, that on the 15th, verse 33, on the 15th day of the seventh month, shall be Chag HaSukot, festival of Sukkot, Shivat Yamim Hashem. The first day is special, holy day, seventh day. For seven days you bring a sacrifice. On the eighth day, serity, <coughs> solemn gathering, refraining from work, Then, very, very strange, verse 37, These are the holidays of God, when you proclaim, celebrate sacred occasions. And on these days, there's special sacrifices, apart from the offerings of the Sabbaths and your gifts and your individual vows. Then verse 39, Ach, however, or but, or mark, they say mark, on the 15th day of the seventh month, when you gather in the produce of the land, you celebrate God's holiday for seven days. The first day is the Shabbaton and the eighth day is the Shabbaton. You shall take on the first day Priyat Sadar, Kapot Marim, Anaf, Eitzavot, Viyarvinachal, Usmach, Tenlusne Hashem, Lokechem, Shivat Yamim, and rejoice for seven days. You shall celebrate this as a Chag for seven days in the year, in the, in the seventh month. And dwell, dwell in the Sukkot for seven days. Right? And all of the Ezrach, the citizens, shall live there for seven days. In order that your generations know. The obvious problem here is this. The Torah lists all the holidays and it lists the holiday of Sukkot in verse number 33. It says you keep first day, the eighth day, calls it Chagah Sukkot. Verse number 37, These are the festivals. Sukkot's the last in the list. Shabbos, whatever. All the holidays are mentioned. The last one is Sukkot. Elo Moadei Hashem. This is the list. And then in verse 39, Ach Hashvi, Mark, or however, in the seventh month, you shall celebrate the holiday of Sukkot for seven days. He just told us that. And, they, and you concluded, these are the holidays of the festivals of God. So what in the, what's going on here? And then it mentions a new mitzvah, no less, that on the first day, you are to gather these four species, 
creates Adar Kapot Marim, what the Gemara calls the Arba Minim, the Lulav, we always the Lulav and the Etrog, Adasim, Aravot. What? Then another ending, Vaidaber Moshe, Moadei Hashem, Obnei Yisrael. So this is, this is very fertile soil for the Bible critics, obviously, who see in this two separate somehow someone is, is including two separate endings to the list of holidays. Yeah. Right, so the mitzvah actually sitting in the sukkah's mentioned in Surya earlier called the Chagas Sukkot. It doesn't say you have to sit there. It mentions one could say that maybe it's implied. I don't know. So I'm not, as you know, a great fan of saying, not, because the, not from a religious standpoint, actually. It may have some connection, but that somebody is simply putting things here in a collector. That the biblical author is a collector of documents doesn't appeal to me. That there are sources does not bother me in the least, but I think it's, there is a literary rhyme and reason to it. It strikes me that in terms of the duplication over here, or the two endings or whatever, it strikes me the Torah is saying something else, which is that the holiday of Sukkot is the last of the holidays. It's the last holiday in the list. But what it says at, at the end is that in some sense it's the last of all the holidays. In other words, it's the last, we give you a list of six things. Sukkot is the last, the sixth of, on the list but Sukkot also is the culmination of everything. That's the idea of Sukkot is the festival of, of, of completion, the festival of culmination. The truth of the matter is that when you think about the holidays in the Chumash, I talk about the Chumash, and you ask what are the main holidays of the Torah, of the five books of Moses, what, are the, what holidays does the Torah pick out as being the essential holidays of the Jewish people, one could make a very strong case that the two are Pesach and uh, Sukkot. It's Pesach and Sukkot. Yom Kippur is important as well. I would say in the Chumash, there's a big emphasis on Sukkot. Now, this is one place the Torah mentions Sukkot. And another place the Torah mentions Sukkot is in this week's Torah reading. This week's Torah reading in the book of Devarim, towards the end of Devarim, suddenly we come across Chag Sukkot. Where do we have Chag Sukkot in this week's Torah reading? in the parsha, So the parsha says that every seven years when all of Israel comes together every seven years to celebrate the festival of Sukkot during the Shemitah year is what it says. Then you are to read gather all the people together men, women, children in order that they fear God and whatever, remember to perform the commandments, that's found in Deuteronomy, was it chapter 30? Let's see. 30 or 31? Let's just find that. 31 sounds good. 31. 31, verse number 10. Verse 10, verse 11, verse 12. And there it says, you gather the people together in the seventh year, the seventh year, the year of Shemitah, that's what it says in the text anyway, the Gemara understands a little differently, when all of Israel is gathering together 
to appear before God in the chosen place. Tikrat HaTorah Hazot Neged Kol Yisrael Biyaznehem Hakelet Ha'am Gather all the people, men, women, children, and a stranger in your midst, that they hear and, 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 and learn and fear God and perform all the words of this Torah. And the children who don't know anything will also hear and fear God for all the days that you live on the land. So the Torah singles out Chagah Sukkot, says, Bevo Kol Yisrael, when all of Israel comes. Which is interesting in a way because that description of Sukkot would appear to apply equally both to Pesach and to Shavuot. The Torah earlier in Dvarim talks about three times a year going to the chosen place. Somehow the Chumash emphasizes specifically the Vokal Yisrael they wrote at Pnei Hashem specifically on the festival of Sukkot. I would add a third biblical text about Sukkot that's very interesting which is in Parshat Re'eh at the end of chapter 16 of Dvarim where it talks about Sukkot specifically, and then the Torah says, and it comes to Sukkot, Vayita Ach Sameach. You should be very joyous. The Torah speaks of Simcha also on Shavuot, on the festival of Shavuot in Tvarim, but when it comes to Sukkot, Ach Sameach. Some of the Simcha of Sukkot is very special. This is where the Torah has mentioned, essentially, these are the places that the Torah has mentioned Chagah Sukkot. I wanted to say something. Last night I was speaking at a synagogue on the east side called Ozerua, and uh, at the end of the Shia, which is about Rosh Hashanah, basically, someone asked me a question. You know, sometimes the questions are so simple, but they're very important, because they're so obvious. The question is so obvious. The question was, what is the deal that when Rosh Hashanah falls on Shabbos, the rabbis say you don't blow the shofar? You have to remember, of course, that in Chumash, Rosh Hashanah is one day. So, essentially, it means there's no chauffeur that year. You have Rosh Hashanah without a chauffeur. What is that actually about? That was the question. So I gave my answer, whatever, and then afterwards, I was thinking about this question. I had the following thought. First of all, I'll tell you what I said last night. I said that there's a dispute, actually, between the two Talmuds. We have the Talmud Bavli and Talmud so-called Yerushalmi. In the Bavli, it says you don't blow the shofar when it falls on Shabbos because we're afraid you might carry the shofar on Shabbos. Okay, so there's a zerat of rabbinic decree not to blow the shofar on Shabbos lest the person who's going to blow the shofar, maybe the person can't do it uh, he himself, herself, whatever, takes it to the takes it to the person who can blow the shofar, going to carry it there. So we're concerned about that, so therefore the rabbis eliminated shofar that year. That's what the Bavli says. The Yerushalmi says something different. The Yerushalmi says, at least what the Yerushalmi explicitly says, is this, the Torah has two verses about Rosh Hashanah. In one verse, the Torah calls Rosh Hashanah a Yom Trua, a day of Trua. In the other verse, it only appears twice in the Chumash, in the other place, it's called the Zichron Trua, the proclamation of, literally, the proclamation of a Trua, like the word Lihaskir. But the Gemara understands Zichron as a memory of. So the Yushami says, sometimes Shelf is just a memory. When is it a memory? When it falls on Shabbos. Then it's the Zichron Trua. When it falls not on Shabbos, then it's a Yom Trua. 
So which I explained, in other words, the Yerushalmi I said is saying something like this. The Yerushalmi is saying, because what's the sense of it? The Yerushalmi is saying, Rashi quotes this actually. Zichron Trua Rashi says, Chumash, that when Rosh Hashanah, that we are saying the verses of Malchiot, Zichronot, and Shofrot. We are saying the verses of Malchiot, Zichronot, and Shofrot. So, in other words, what the, what the thinking is, the performance of the mitzvah of Rosh Hashanah can be done through the shofar. But also, when we sound the shofar in Rosh Hashanah, it's accompanied by te- a text. The text is what we call Malchiot, Zichronot, and Shofrot. We say in most of these biblical verses which are a kind of commentary on the shofar. So sometimes you have the shofar with, with, with the text, but sometimes you can have the text without the shofar. When so what the rabbinic decision is, essentially, is that there are two ways to experience Rosh Hashanah. One is with the shofar plus the text, but sometimes the text itself suffices. That's what the Yerushalmi seems to say. The Bavli certainly doesn't accept that, First is that Drush is not there. And furthermore, in the Bavli, and maybe even the Yerushalmi, there were three mitzvot that the rabbis eliminated on Shabbos. Three are mentioned. It's only three, to the best of my knowledge. One is Shofar. One is Lulav. If the first day of Sukkot falls on Shabbat, then we don't have the Lulav and Etrog. And also Megillah. The Megillah, Megillah Esther, can never be read on Shabbos. Those are the three. You have to remember when it comes to Lulav on Sukkot, in the verse I just read, What does it mean you shall take for yourself by Yom HaRishon on the first day? So what is the rabbinic understanding as far as the Talmud says? So the Talmud understands the mitzvah of Lulav in, it, in this way. The Talmud says, the Pasuk is, and you shall rejoice before God for seven days. How does the Talmud understand this? So the Talmud understands it in this way. You shall take for yourself, the thing is sometimes these things are so ingrained in us that we don't actually look at the, the verses in the, in the Torah. They say, one, one second, does it actually say that? But here's what the Talmud understands. Talmud understands that the mitzvah of Lulav and Etrog is only on the first day of Sukkot. That from the Torah standpoint, the mitzvah to take the Lulav and Etrog is one day, which is the first day. After that, there's no mitzvah from the Torah. There's a rabbinic ordinance to take it for the whole Sukkot. Why? As a, as a remembrance of the temple. Because in the temple, they took it for seven days. Okay, everybody, that's what the Gemara says. I'm not making it up. Usmachtemufnei means that the rule of an etrog in the temple, in the Mikdash, were taken for seven days. But outside the Mikdash, what it calls Gvulin, outside the Mikdash, is only on the first day. So therefore, if the first day of Sukkot falls on Shabbat, I think last year that happened, then there's no, there's no mitzvah. And the rabbis have effectively eliminated the rule of an etrog. Right? Same as shofar. <coughs> the shofar falls, the Rosh Hashanah falls on Shabbat. There is no shofar. Yeah, we have two days Rosh Hashanah. That's a rabbinic business, but Rosh Hashanah and the Chumash is one day. So I had the following thought after I left the Orzaru. I was thinking the following thought that there are three cases in the Talmud 
that the rabbis eliminate a mitzvah uh, on Shabbat. One is the Megillah. Now, the Megillah is never a problem, and the Megillah gets pushed to a different day. That's not actually a problem. It's not eliminated. It gets pushed to a different day. If I have time, I'll talk about that, why, why that's so. But the other two are actually eliminated. So I, hear, I have the following interesting thought. I think it's interesting. Maybe it's wrong, but it's very interesting. Uh-huh. And that's the following thought. What I talked about last night was about the shofar. And I made the point, which is obvious, that when you open up a Chumash and you read about Rosh Hashanah, there's not too much to read about Rosh Hashanah. But one of the missing words is the word shofar. The Torah never mentions the shofar on Rosh Hashanah. Not only does it not mention the shofar on Rosh Hashanah, it, it's not clear that you sound anything on Rosh Hashanah. The Chumash says, Yom Chuloi Yelochem. What does that mean? The Karaites didn't think it meant the shofar. That's for sure. A day of crying out. It's not clear. Maybe it's a day of prayer. In the Chumash, the Chuloi sounded sometimes with the shofar in the Jubilee year, the Yovel and Yom Kippur. There's Havata Shofar Chua. But in the book of Bamidbar, it's through the, it's through the trumpets, the Chatzos the silver trumpets. So it's not clear what it means. But certainly the word shofar does not appear. The omission is glaring. The Karaites said, in fact, to the Rabbinites, never says it. Okay, we have a tradition that's shofar. Now let's get to the Luov and the Etrog, the taking of these four minim, the Dawid minim on Sukkot. Okay, the rabbis say the first day. Which the rabbis understand to mean you should take on the first day. So the Karaites, our trusty friends, said to the rabbinites, you misread the verse. That's not what it means. And it doesn't mean that at all. There is no mitzvah of Arba Minim, they said. It doesn't exist. What the Chumash is saying is something different. What the Chumash is saying is on the first day, which doesn't mean the first day actually. It could mean the first day or prior to the first day. For example, the Chumash has exactly the same formulation when it comes to re- removing all of the chametz from the house on Pesach. Ach bayom harishon tashbitu sa'ar mi batechem. Exactly the same. What does it mean? It doesn't mean on the first day. It might. But the rabbinic understanding is prior to the first day. By the first day. When the first day comes around... You shall eliminate chametz from your house. And the Torah says black on white. There shall be no chametz in your house for the full seven days. So the Karais came and said, the same thing is true over here. When the Chumash says, what they're saying is that by prior to the first day, you shall take these things, why? Not to wave them around said the Karaites, but to build the sukkah. The Karaites said there's one mitzvah. The mitzvah is called sukkah. But what do you make the sukkah from? So you've got to go out and get the wood, and, and you should make the sukkah from beautiful things, pre-Eitz Hadar. And the, and the Karaites said to the Rabbinites, and not only that, that that's the plain meaning of the text, but we have evidence that this is the case. I can prove to you this is the case. And what is the proof? So the proof, see if we can find this. Let's see. The proof, one second. Can we find the proof? 
The proof is a verse in Ezra and Nehemiah. It's found in page 1,874. The book of Nehemiah. Very strange verses. They're all gathering together. They're coming back to the land. So it says that when they came back and they were very sad. Ezra opens up the Torah and reads to the people. Page 1874. And the people hear the words of the Torah. And the Torah was explained to them, it says, through a Beturgamon. A translator explained the words of the Torah. And the people were very sad when they hear the words of the Torah. Maybe they realize how far they've fallen. And there was the seventh month, the first day of the seventh month, which we call Rosh Hashanah. And they were very sad. So Ezra, the priest, said to the people, together with Nehemiah, go home, he says, Today is a holy day. Kodesh Hashem. Do not mourn and do not cry. So by Rosh Hashanah. So the people were crying. Go and eat good things. And go and eat and drink. Send gifts to those who don't have it. Ki Kodosh Hayom For today is a holy day. Right? Which appears in the davening of Rosh Hashanah. Ki Kodosh Hayom Right? What do we say in... Then, so the people do this. Fine, the people, and they, people are going home, they went home, and they ate and they drank. Next day, verse 13. Next day. Next day, they're reading the Torah, right? They're studying the Torah. Verse number 14. Something's mind boggling. And they found something in the Torah, very interesting. A Chiddush they found in the Chumash. There's something called Sukkot. They didn't know from Sukkot. They had no idea. That's what it says. Therefore they should publicize the following. In all the cities and in Jerusalem saying, look at this verse, verse 15, Suhahar, go to the mountains. Go into the mountains and gather, and it mentions Zayat, Eitz Shemen, Hadas, Tamarim, Eitz Avot. It mentions five species for what purpose? To build the sukkah. Now, Hadasim, right, Alei Eitz Avot is actually explicit in the Chumash, as, right, and Kapot Tamarim is in the Chumash. So two of the five are explicit in the Torah. Preates Hadar, which could be Zayat. Our tradition says it's the Etrog. Who knows what I... A beautiful fruit, right? And we have a Kapot Marim, Anaf Eitz Avot, Viarve Nachal. That's our list. 
So the Karite said, what do you want? It's explicit that the purpose of the Dalit Minim is to build the Sukkot. I'm not saying that is the Pshat in the Chumash, by the way, because my gut tells me it's not so. My gut says to me that our tradition actually has, could be, it could be, could be the Pshat in Chumash. I'm not sure, actually, which is the Pshat. But here's what I want to say about it, about this. You have the two mitzvot, two of the big mitzvot we have, are shofar. That's, of course, not in the Chumash at all. The rabbis have a complicated exegesis to bring shofar from elsewhere to Rosh Hashanah. It's complicated. When something's very complicated, it means it's not, it's not, it's not obviously there. When it comes to the Dalad Minim of Sukkot, one of the main mitzvot of Sukkot, the rule of the Etrog, it's also not clear that it's there. I mean, I think the text, we lean towards the, even simply reading the text in an objective way, if that's possible, I would lean a little towards the Karaites and say that's not what the text seems to say. And it certainly doesn't mean the first day. See, the Karaites were saying, I didn't explain the Karaites, it doesn't mean the first day, it means the first day. Sukkot is seven days. It means by the first day you've got to build your sukkah. By the first day you build your sukkah. So therefore, by the first day, take these species, take the wood, from which you will build the sukkah. But here's what I want to suggest. Two, two points out of the same point. That the rabbis know from the Karite opinion. In other words, the rabbis understood that. It's not that sometimes you have a medrash. Medrash halacha, medrash Hagada. Some people spend their lives trying to push the medrash into the text. David and Bathsheba, they did, did, David didn't really sin. They have a, it's so complicated, you know? And they think they're doing God's work. They believe it that they're being pious and deeply religious by saying ridiculous things in the text. How could that be? And they, the worst of it is, that's not what the Medrash meant. Not just to destroy the text, it actually, the, the Medrash understood the text. The Medrash is saying something additional. Something, something it's saying it's more nuanced. It's pointing out many other things. So the rabbis understood, I think, when you open up the Chumash, it doesn't seem to say what they claim it says. Nonetheless, for whatever reason, they have instructed us in a certain practice. But the thinking of the Karite reading emerges even within our own tradition. I'll give you a simple example. Everybody knows we build a sukkah on Sukkot. Chaga Sukkot, there's a sukkah. The Gemara speaks of an interesting mitzvah in conjunction with the sukkah. See, the sukkah for the Gemara, when you build the sukkah, you're setting aside a sukkah for a mitzvah. The Gemara calls that muktzah. Not, not the normal muktzah that we think of on Shabbos. But muktzah means set aside. And therefore, the Gemara says that the sukkah during the holiday of Sukkot is actually forbidden to benefit from. You can sit in it. But you can't simply go to the walls and pull off a piece of the sukkah and use it for some reason. Huktzah mitzvah to, it's set aside for the mitzvah. Let's say you want to, I don't know, you want to play baseball, you want to get a, you have to take one of the planks and use it to hit a ball or a racket or whatever, that's forbidden. Because it's huktzah mitzvah to. The Gemara says that's true, not only of the sukkah itself, the walls and the roof, the schach, which is the main sukkah, but it's also true of the sukkah decorations. The sukkah decorations are what the Gemara calls noi sukkah, the beautification of the sukkah. The beautification of the sukkah has the same status 
as the sukkah itself. Now I was thinking, where's that coming from? But the fact that, where is the idea coming from that the sukkah should be beautiful? But actually it's the pasuk in Chumash. Because if the Chumash, if you presume that these four species are to build the sukkah, what is the first of the four species? Creates Hadar. Be- the beautiful, the beautiful, beautiful fruit. So the rabbis understood that the beautiful fruit, actually, in the Pshad of the Chumash could well be that the beautiful fruit is being used to build the sukkah. In which case, the sukkah has to be beautiful. The idea of Hidur Mitzvah, that all mitzvahs should be beautiful. But specifically, there are two mitzvot in our tradition that have to be beautiful. Specifically two. One is the sukkah. Maybe the lulav as well. The lulav of the etrog, the sukkah. There's specifically the idea of hidur there. And the other mitzvah, even more so, in which the focus is on the hidur as being a central component of the mitzvah, is what? Chanukah. Neros of Chanukah. The Gemara says that the, ner- the lighting of the Chanukah candles it suffices to light one candle each night. Near Beito. The Mahadrin, those who beautify the mitzvah, Near Luchoechot every member of the family lights a candle. Via Mahadrin, Mina Mahadrin, those who go another step in Hidur, they are lighting Beshame Besilo, one additional candle every night, or one candle less every night according to Beshame, but when it comes to Hanukkah, not only do we have Hidur Mitzvah, new concept, Mahadrin Mina Mahadrin. Where is that coming from? Of course, the answer is obvious. Everybody knows that Hanukkah is based upon Sukkot. So with Maccabees, you don't need, you don't need Maccabees for that, by the way. Safe and ready from the Gemara, you see it straight out. The commonalities of Hanukkah and Sukkot are very striking. Hanukkah is a temple holiday built upon Sukkot. Sukkot is the place where you have creates Hadar. But the simple reading of the text could be that the Dawid Minim are there not as a separate mitzvah. The Dawid Minim are there for to build the Sukkah. So I was thinking, in response to last night's question, why did the rabbis say that if the festival falls on Shabbat, Rosh Hashanah falls on Shabbos, or Sukkot falls on Shabbos, there's no mitzvah. That I, I, I suspect it's connected to the idea that the rabbis understood that these two mitzvot of shofar and lulav don't actually exist. There is no mitzvah. We have, we have invented these mitzvot. You open up the chumash, there's no shofar in the chumash on Rosh Hashanah, and there's no lulav on Sukkot. So the rabbis understood this. The rabbis say, in effect, we, have, we in a sense have created the mitzvah, and we therefore have the power to, to, to uncreate it. And in the, in the, in, by explicitly making the point that when it falls on Shabbat, on certain occasions we simply eliminate the mitzvah, is a way, I think, in a sense of getting back to the, to the original text, which doesn't have such a mitzvah, and saying that we understand that in, in effect, it's a kind of heimram of a heimram. We have, in a sense, created the mitzvah of shofar. We have, therefore, the right to uncreate it. And we're making a point that actually, in a certain, on a certain level, it doesn't exist. So that's clear, and therefore we can say, don't do it. But on all the other times, we are insisting that our practice is to do it. Megillah is obviously so, and by the way, 
I'll make a simple point about Megillah, which is different because in Megillah, they never eliminate the Megillah. It's also very interesting. How come they didn't eliminate the Megillah? And I would say because for the rabbinic thinking, it's interesting, we have a, a tractate called Masechet Megillah. We have no tractate called Masechet Purim. We have a tractate called Masechet Megillah. The, the rabbinic construction of Purim is actually Megillah. So therefore the rabbis didn't want to eliminate the Megillah. Because if you eliminate the Megillah, then you, then you, then, then you have no Purim, actually. It's not the same as Lulav and Shofar. If you eliminate the Shofar, you still have Rosh Hashanah. Because Rosh Hashanah is other things. It's a Shabbaton. Rosh Hashanah can exist without the Shofar. Purim can't exist without the Megillah. But the point is, when you read the Megillah, when you actually open up in the Megillah and read it, what you will see is something interesting. The Megillah never actually says that you read the Megillah. never says it. It says one thing, that these days and events are remembered through time, that you send gifts to the poor, that you send gifts to your friends. That it does say. But it never says you read the Megillah. It says you have to remember what happened. We remember what happened by reading the Megillah, but the fact of the matter is, the Megillah itself never says to read the Megillah. So it's interesting that all of these three cases, I think, are situations where the rabbis eliminated it or transferred it. Megillah is slightly different. Megillah obviously is rabbinic by nature, but that maybe these three cases, Dafka, are situations where there is no actual command. Or no, let's say, no command as emerging from the simple text of the Torah. The command emerges from a, a complicated rabbinic exegesis. Specifically, in the case of Shofar, it's very complicated. In the case of Lulav and Etrog, Sukkot, I say that the idea that the Torah means on the first day you take the Lulav outside the temple and seven days in the temple, I would say, is not the, the obvious reading of the, of, the, of the text of the Torah. The Karite reading, which is the first day means prior to the first day, strikes me as the sensible reading of the text. So make sure that if you want to have a sukkah for seven days, you better make sure that prior to the first day, you have gathered the materials from which you will build the sukkah. It's exactly parallel to the Chametz. Ach, bayom arishon tashbitus, army bateichem, does not mean on the first day. Probably means by the first day. Make sure that for seven days you have no Chametz, and therefore, prior to the first day, get rid of it. Make sure you have a sukkah for seven days, and therefore collect the materials to build it before it begins, which would be the pre-eight sadar, kapot etc. But then, of course, the idea is the sukkah should be beautiful. So the rabbinic mitzvah of noi sukkah has its roots, I think, in a, in, a, in, a, in a different reading of the text, one that we have on one hand rejected, but we haven't fully rejected it. It resurfaces in a different halachic context. Okay, that's as far as... So let's get back to these verses about... So that's... One mitzvah of Sukkot is the mitzvah of the Sukkah, and the Torah gives a reason for the mitzvah of Sukkah. The reason is... It, verse 43. Chapter 24, verse 43. The Torah has given us the reason for, 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 for Sukkot. In order that the generations will know that I have basukot hoshavdi at Bnei Yisrael, that I uh, 
made the Israelite people live in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. Ani Hashem Elokeichem. The Gemara already has a dispute as to what Sukkot are. It would appear, I think, that the plain reading of the text is that Sukkot are in fact Sukkot. Sukkot are booths. And we are remembering that when we left the land of Egypt, God caused us to dwell in booths as we have. So it's a memory of what happened after we left Egypt. There is another opinion in the Gemara that suggests that the booths are not actual booths, but what the Gemara calls Ananekavod, clouds of glory, which means that what the booths are here are basically Ananekavod means God's presence, but more specifically, the idea of the uh, Mishkan. What we call in English tabernacles, the festival of tabernacles. Tabernacle is the Mishkan. And the verse that can be cited in this context is found at the very end of Sefer Shemot, after the Mishkan has been built. There the Torah says, the last verses of uh, Exodus, page 205, So, the cloud of God, the glory of God, the cloud covered the Olamoed, and the glory of God filled the tabernacle. Okay. And then it says in the last verse of Exodus, Anan Hashem ala Mishkan Yomam, in the daytime, the cloud would be above the Mishkan, and at night the fire, in the sight of all of Israel throughout their journeys. So there, there is a, one might say a drush, that the Sukkot are connected to the Mishkan. But the truth of the matter is, it's much more than a drush. It's a situation where the drush is a profound truth about the Chumash. Because what's interesting is, by the way, not just this idea of the Sukkah being the uh, cloud or whatever it is, the cloud of the Mishkan, but the idea of Ruman Yedu Dorotechem, which is verse number 43. Ruman Yedu Dorotechem, that the mitzvah of Sukkah, in order that you know, it's a mitzvah in order that you know, maybe what this particular opinion picks up on, is what the Chumash says about the Mishkan. What is the purpose of building a Mishkan, which the Torah informs us in the book of Shemot again, in chapter 29. Torah says, at the end of chapter 29, in page 179, says you shall bring the beginning of 29 is the dedicatory service the miluim to, to uh, consecrate the Mishkan and it talks about bringing two sacrifices in the morning and the evening afternoon and then it says this shall be a regular offering for all generations by the gate of the, the tents opening of the tents of the Mishkan then it says, I will meet you there. 
it will be sanctified with my glory, and I will sanctify the tent and the altar, and Aaron and his children I shall consecrate to serve me. I will dwell amongst Israel, and I will be their God. And now the last verse. They will know that I am their God who took them out of Egypt for the purpose of dwelling amongst them. They will know this. I am their God. So what is the purpose of the Mishkan? In the words of the Chumash, that we know. That we know what? We understand the purpose of leaving Egypt. The purpose of leaving Egypt, says the Chumash, was to build the Mishkan. That is to say, the purpose of leaving Egypt was to dwell amongst them. So the rabbinic thinking is, this opinion that this sukkah is Anane Kavod, reads the verse here in Vayikra, verse 43, in light of the other verse. In order that you know, that I caused them to dwell in Sukkot, so the rabbinic says, well, it must be the same concept. The, con- the Sukkot expressed the purpose of leaving Egypt. The purpose of leaving Egypt was to have God dwell in our midst. That's explicit in Exodus. So this verse is probably saying more or less the same thing. That the purpose of leaving Mitzrayim was to have, was to understand that the Sukkah is the place of God's presence. The Sukkah is a kind of mini, kind of mini temple. A mini Mikdash. I said before that Hanukkah is based upon Sukkot. It's exactly the same idea. Because what is Hanukkah? Hanukkah is the ha- festival of the home. That's why it's a popular festival. It's a festival of the home. And what do we do in Hanukkah? We take the candle from the temple. Hanukkah is a, a Mikdash holiday. You take the candle of the temple and you put it inside your house. One might say, It's parallel to the rabbinic understanding of the holiday of Sukkot. And this, I think, is very important because it's what I mentioned earlier about the text of Sukkot in Vayikra, which is very problematic. Sukkot is mentioned twice. Chag Sukkot, seven days. These are the festivals. And suddenly, then the Torah goes back to a new mitzvah. What's going on here? So I suggested, because the Torah is saying something else about Sukkot. It's not just it's the last one on the list from the calendar standpoint, but it's the culmination of all the festivals. Because what is the purpose of all the festivals? Think about the festival. Think about the calendar. It has a beginning. It has an end. It's a way of, it's a reflection. The calendar is a reflection. should be. It's a, it's a reflection on the communal level of the personal journeys that takes place during the year. And where does this journey end? What is the end of the journey? So the end of the journey, in terms of the calendar, is Sukkot. But if you think about it, it's also, what is the end of the journey in the book of Exodus, let's say? The book of Exodus is about leaving Egypt. It starts with Pesach, which is obviously the first festival. What is the end of the journey? What is the purpose of leaving Egypt? The Mishkan, the Torah says it black on white. 
actually two purposes. One is to go to the land. But in the book of Exodus, we never get to the land. So the purpose of leaving Egypt in the book of Exodus is basically the Mishkan. That's the culmination. So that just happens to be the last thing. That's the purpose. The one who emphasizes this over and over again in contradistinction to Rashi. Rashi has a whole different point of view. But the, Ram, the Ramban, actually, it's one of the big points the Ramban makes. He disagrees with Rashi in a hundred different places. And the Ramban says that the purpose of leaving Egypt was not to receive the Torah. The Torah is an important step on the way. But that's chapter 20, 20, 19, chapter 20, 24. But that's not how the book ends, says the Ramban. So the Torah is important and necessary, but not sufficient. That's the Ramban. The purpose of leaving Egypt wasn't to receive the Torah. The purpose of leaving Egypt was to build the Mishkan, which the Ramban formulates as to be a, 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 a holy nation. Now, the holy nation requires a Torah. But the Torah does not suffice, says the Ramban. In fact, you can keep the whole Torah and still be a bum, the Ramban says. It's called the novel Bishut HaTorah. Therefore, the Torah commands us Kadoshim Tiyu, the famous Ramban. But he says the same thing in ten different places. Rashi disagreed. Rashi thought the goal is the Torah. The Ramban says that's wrong. That can't be right, says the Ramban. And he says this in many interesting different ways. It slips my mind now, because the last few days I've sort of another way, which the Ramban makes essentially the same point. That the purpose of it was not, was not the Torah. The Torah is a step along the way. The purpose is the Mishkan. So I say that the Sukkah, actually, and Roman Yedu Dorotechen, the Sukkah actually, the reason the Chumash sets it up the way it does, is because the Chumash say two things about Sukkot. It's the last festival, that's one thing, that's true, on the list it's the last one. Then the Chumash says something additional. It is the culmination of all the festivals. Not just it happens to be last. The goal is Roman Yedu. The goal is Yediyah. The goal is a deep understanding which also involves experience. Because to learn something, it's one of the things I've learned in my life is that, you know, I'm a book person, read from books. But the truth of the matter is to know something deeply, know it well, it's not just about learning in a classroom. Because the truth of the matter is, the things that we learn in life often from our experience, more than from learning from a book. The integration of the two is the idea is the full knowledge. So, the book of Exodus, the word, one can make the argument, the key word in the book of Exodus is the word to know. That's how the book begins. A new Pharaoh emerged who didn't know Joseph, right? Mm-hmm. Let, let, let the Jews serve God. I never, over and over and over, the word, there's not a, a, virtually not a single story in the book of Exodus which does not contain the word to know. So the culmination of the book is to know. And that's the purpose of the Mishkan. Says the Chumash, that's the purpose of the Sukkah. But we will know. To understand, and if you understand the Mishkan, then you put the Exodus in the proper perspective. It wasn't about leaving Egypt to be free. It wasn't about that. It's about leaving Egypt to be able to create a community which God dwells amongst us. That's what the Torah is saying. You want to add something to that, Suri? I was just saying about the Ramban saying that the Mishkan is the end goal. Yes. 
course. Of course, of course. It's, there are I, probably 20 different places. Would you say, Sui says that Rashi actually sees the Mishkan as, as a Bidyevit. The Mishkan for Rashi only happens after the golden calf. There's a small problem with Rashi that the Mishkan is chapter 25 and the Eagle is chapter 32. So Rashi has no problem with that. The Chumash is out of order. Out of chronological order. Rashi, Rashi never believed for a second that the Chumash is not in order. It's actually the opposite. More than any other commentary is Rashi believes the Chumash is in order. But it's not chronological. Rashi always asks the question, why is this parasha next to that parasha? Even in cases where you could give a simple answer. Could it happen afterwards? It's Rashi's question. Remember, years ago, I went to Bravinder's uh, Bay way back then. I forget. Someone gave a whole sheer about this. What do you mean, why? So we gave a whole pilpul. Nonsense, the whole thing, basically. But not understanding. Because Rashi, for Rashi, the chronological order is actually irrelevant. Well, why is the parish of Rashi say something else? It can't just be chronological for Rashi. Because the chronology is irrelevant. That's how far Rashi goes. This fellow couldn't grasp that point. It, it has to be another something else in, beyond the chronology. That Rashi is not just it doesn't happen to be in chronological. That's not the order of the Chumash. It's not chronological. The Ramban disagrees. Most disagree. Ramban's position is a very sensible one. It's generally in chronological order. Sometimes it's not. Now, those are the exceptions. But in any event, Rashi has an order but it's not a chronological order. So Rashi says, no problem. One is chapter 25, one is chapter 32. Okay, 32 comes before 25. So Rashi says, the Mishkan was there as a response. People need a f- the ego. They need a physical thing, physical object. Okay, need a physical object. I'll give you, the golden calf is no good. So we'll give you the Mishkan. That's a kosher golden calf. Okay, fine. Got kosher golden calf. You got it. That's, that's Rashi. Says the Ramban, that's not right. Because the Torah is in order, generally speaking. It's not out of order. So the goal is not the Torah. So for the Ramban, I just I can't remember now. There's another interesting Ramban I just saw recently along the same lines. The Ramban typically, this is very central to the Ramban. It's really a machlokas between the Misnagdim against the, uh, against the Hasidim. For the, for the Litvaks, you know, it's all about the mitzvahs. That's what Rashi says. We are taken out of Egypt to perform the mitzvot. Kabbalah Satorah. And with the Hasidim, the mitzvot are part of it. The mitzvot are, are, help you along the path. But the goal is not the mitzvah. goal is not the mitzvah. The goal is to connect to God in some deep way. The goal is Kedoshim to you. The Torah helps, you, helps get you there. That's, Yeah. Right, there is certainly true, that is, that is accurate, that the, there is in certain Hasidic thinking that the, you have to Hanukkah. By the way, Hanukkah appears in, this, in other halachic context as a kind of endpoint. But I think, I think Bikurim also. Right? But there's another, there's an, so Hanukkah does appear as an endpoint for certain mitzvot, 
which makes a lot of sense if you see Hanukkah as a kind of second Sukkot. Because that year there was temple had been defiled, so the the reconstitution of the temple, Hanukkah, that's what the Hanukkah means, the rededication of the temple took place. It was a deferred Sukkot that year. Now we mention something else about Sukkot. The Mishkan. <coughs> it's a very important point. Let me just say one, me say one more thing about the Mishkan. We're coming to Yom Kippur. I know we're talking about Sukkot, but we usually talk about Yom Kippur, so this year would and Sukkot never gets discussed really, so so we want to don't want to we wanted make amends. So we want to yes, Sukkot for for Mechilo, you know. So, um, but uh, it's interesting that the Jewish calendar is has its roots in the book of in the book of Exodus. Sefer Shemot is the source of the Jewish calendar, and I've spoken about this in the past. It's actually a very important point on, for, for two reasons. One is just to understand with it. So take, let's take for example the way it works is this: it starts with the Passover. Passover is the Exodus. A lot of emphasis in Sefer Shemot on Pesach, obviously. Then we start walking in the desert, start our complaints. There were some complaints even in Mitzrayim, too, but once we get out of Egypt, that's when we really start complaining. And we have the golden calf. After the golden calf, what, what is the golden, what is the Cheder Ego? Cheder Ego means that we never left Egypt, spiritually. These are the gods that took you out of Egypt. If you believe the golden calf took you out of Egypt, so spiritually speaking, you're still in Mitzrayim. So we have to leave, spiritually leave Mitzrayim. And the gold from which we build the golden calf was the gold we took from Egypt. So we have to take the gold off, remove it. But eventually that gold becomes the gold that from which we build the Mishkan. Because you see, it's, it's interesting, I saw recently... Interesting, they're publishing the works of, of a good friend of mine, actually, he's the main guy, publishing the works of, of Rabbi Shagar. He died a couple of years ago. He's a very important person. So he's the one that, among other things, brought a lot of the deep Hasidic teachings into the religious Zionist yeshiva. Important for many reasons, actually. So he discusses over there a machloket between the Baratanya, first, the first Lubavitcher Rebbe, and, uh, and uh, Rav Nachman. He has a, there's a whole Hasidic Torah, which is the Baal Shem Tov, in the name of the Baal Shem Tov we have, and Rav Nachman writes about it as well. The issue is, during prayer, so often during prayer, other thoughts creep into our head, davening. and then we're beginning to think about other things. It does happen on occasion, right? <laughs> so, what do you do with those thoughts? And there can be all kinds of thoughts. The thoughts he's talking about is, what am I wasting my time for? Maybe nobody's listening. Maybe I'm talking to myself. I'm not sure it's so bad to talk to ourselves, but that's another story. So, so the machokas he has between the Balatanya and the Nachman is this, that the Balatanya said, eliminate them. Just don't, don't go there. Concentrate on the davening. Bad thoughts enter your mind, try just to put them aside. And Rav Nachman has a different teaching according to Shagar, in which he says, no, no. Don't eliminate them. Try to raise them up. Try to incorporate these thoughts in, into the prayers. Now I was thinking, 
This is the two pairs. Rabbi Salavashik, in a totally different context, talks about tshuva in two different ways. Sometimes the things in that past we want to eliminate, we want to forget about them, we want to destroy them, you know, just step away from them. They don't exist. That's a previous life. That's not for me. And sometimes we are saying the negative things of our past, which appear to be negative, maybe we can raise them up because if I'm in a good place today, how did I get here? Through all my past experiences. So in a sense, we, we can redeem our past. And the truth of the matter is that that actually is, is a pshat and chumash. We don't need Rabbi Salavashik for this, and we don't need the Nachman. All we need is Sefer Shemot. Because that's what the chumash says. That when the Jews wanted to do tshuva after the golden calf, they took off, they stripped themselves of their ornaments at Har Chorev. Means they distanced themselves from the Vayit Natsulu. It's actually the word the Chumash uses for Egypt. Beneath Southam at Mitzrayim, you shall despoil Egypt. Means the gold. So the first step was to. <coughs> that's not my gold. That's not me. That's, that's separate. Nothing to do with that. But then that same gold is taken and we build the Mishkan. So in building the Mishkan, we're taking the gold of Egypt and we're building a Mishkan. So that's not just eliminating the past. On the contrary, that's elevating the past, that's integrating the past, even negative. So that actually, the dispute of Rav Nachman and the Balatanya, or Rabbi Salavashik's two, two, two paths of tshuva, because Biyoharav, the, the elimination of it, destroying it, or raising it up, the Chumash is actually two steps. The first step was separating from, and the ultimate step was the Mishkan. It's interesting. But after the golden calf, so God says to Moshe, tell the people they can go. Moshe intercedes on our behalf. God says to Moshe, you know what? Tell the people they can go into the land. I'll even send my best angel. And you'll go to the land of milk and honey, but I'm not going with you. Because if I go with you, we're going to fight. It's a terrible fight, fight, fight. So go without me. Go without me means there won't be a Mishka. That's what go without me means. No, no Mishka, no, no presence. At that point, the people took off their jewelry and Moshe prays for us. At the end of Moshe's prayers, he succeeds in getting God to dwell amongst us. And what is the moment in the Torah where it's clear that Moshe will succeed? It's when God agrees to do what? That's, the, that's already later when God agrees to meet with Moshe he comes down in a cloud that moment Moses hurried up Come with us now. For the people are stiff-necked, maybe despite the fact that they're stiff-necked. And God answered Moshe, God had previously said, I make a covenant with you. The Ramban understands this. <coughs> I now... I will reconstruct the previous covenant, the broken tablets. Right? So the moment, the great moment in the Chumash when God agrees 
to return. I would say not just agrees to return, but the method, the way that it allows God to return amongst us. How can God dwell amongst us? God said, I'll destroy you if I'm with you. We'll fight. I'll destroy you. So Moshe says, come with us in the guise of what? Hashem, Hashem, Kerachum, V'chanun. That's the moment that will allow God to dwell amongst us. One might say, that's the moment that allows me to dwell amongst us. The Mishkan. That's the moment that allows for the Mishkan. How is that marked on our calendar? Hashem, Hashem, Kerachum, V'chanun. What is that? Yom Kippur, of course. That's what Yom Kippur is. What is the prayer of Yom Kippur? It's funny. People go to Shul Yom Kippur, spend all day in your shul, they have no idea what the prayer is. I mean, it's, it's, it's funny. It's a tragedy, actually. The basic prayer of Yom Kippur is what we call Slichot. Yes, we have a custom to say Slichot before Yom Kippur, even before Rosh Hashanah. But the fundamental prayer of Yom Kippur, Hashem, Hashem, Kerachum, V'chanun. The truth of the matter is, we've discussed it many times in the past, that if you go to a, a, I, I call it an, an authentic service, by that I mean a traditional service that actually keeps the, the traditions of the past, the full traditions of the past, it's very hard to find that in New York City. There are only two places you can go, actually. You can go to a Sephardic synagogue. I don't mean a Hasidic one. I mean a Sephardic, real Sephardic synagogue and they will keep the Sephardi customs, and most of them, what they've been saying for hundreds and hundreds of years. Or you want to travel up to Washington Heights, you go to Breuer's, where they will say, what they do in Breuer's, they keep the customs of a thousand years. If you wonder what they did in Ashkenaz a thousand years ago, you go to Breuer's. And, they were, and they, the customs are very, very, very interesting. Many, many customs there. So, the ancient prayers of Yom Kippur are clear, that during the Yom Kippur service, Slichot were recited every day, every, every prayer. There are five prayers on Yom, on, on Yom Kippur. If you go to a synagogue that maintains the traditions, full traditions, not too many of them, you'll see they say Slichot. We at say Slichot or every prayer. It's obvious. I mean, the Rabbi Salvation was a very big advocate of this. Because not only do, 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 do most synagogues don't say Slichot every... I mean, I'm talking about the traditional synagogues say everything else. But the slichot, not only are they not said in during three of the five prayers, but they were cut out in a, in a, in a, in a ridiculous way. They were cut out in the wrong place by the, by, by the printer. Now, why the world goes along with it is very interesting. You see that people, whatever's in a book, they'll, they'll say it without, without thinking. That's what you realize. It's a scary thought. Because in the standard of the Orthodox synagogue, after Yalav Yavo, Zechor Rachamecha, then Shmak Horeinu. Makes no sense. Shmakole means everything we've said before. Listen to our. Pr- we haven't said anything. Shmakole was is the end of slichot actually. So without you not saying the slichot, you're saying shmakole. Makes no sense. Anyway, the point is, what is the calendar? Yom Kippur is is slichos. Hashem Hashem Kelrachum Vachan. Yom Kippur Hashem Hashem Kelrachum Vachanun is what makes possible for God to dwell amongst us. Yerach Hashem Bekirbenu. Where in the book of Exodus does God dwell amongst us? The Mishkan, obviously. So essentially, the Jewish calendar, right? You have the golden calf, and you have God saying, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to be with you. That on the Jewish calendar, basically, we call Tisha B'av. The God's absence is Tisha B'av. Even though Tisha B'av is a rabbinic day, but the idea of Tisha B'av is not rabbinic. Very important day. It's God's separation, God's absence. Then we have the seven weeks between Tisha B'av and Rosh Hashanah. 
called him Shiva Dinechemta, the seven weeks of consolation, which talks about God beginning to be amongst us. Interesting, by the way, is the first week of the Shiva Dinechemta, the first Haftorah. Nachamu, Nachamu, Ami. It's awesome, by the way. If you read the Haftorah, what is the Nechama? What is the Nechama? It says there's very little Nechama. There's one Nechama that God is present. God and God's majesty is present amongst us. This is awesome, actually. And then, and, we'll, and it ends with Sosasis Pashem. I will rejoice in God's presence. He'll Bishani Bigdayesha. Shiva Dinechemta takes you to Rosh Hashanah, which inaugurates the, the, the two main holidays of the seventh month. The first is Yom Kippur, which is understood by the calendar to be the day of forgiveness, the day of reconciliation with God, made possible through God's merciful presence. Hashem Hashem Kerachum V'chanun. And Bikirbenu is that we build the Mishkan. We're building the Sukkah. So the Jewish calendar essentially is rooted in the book of Exodus. Now I want to make a different point about the book of Exodus. About the calendar being rooted in the book of Exodus that has been made by many before me. A very important point. Many people have made this point. I think Gitz Greenberg has spoken about this. I'm not 100% sure, but I suspect he has. It's, I think, a very important point. I'll speak about myself. I basically, my, my, my parents were born in Manhattan, and uh, very New York. And my, my grandmother came in 1884. But the fact of the matter is, I grew up in Jackson Heights, Queens, with uh, survivors. We grew up in survivor, all survivors, except for our family. The Shoah is, for me and for many people, many, many people, unconsciously the main event in our lives, together with the state of Israel. That's what, that's what drives us, basically. But even more Israel is the Shoah. Having said all that, having grown up with it, I mean, I was talking to a woman who said, you, you must be from survivors. I said, no, I'm not. I'm actually American as apple pie. That's not possible. I grew, I grew up with the survivors. I, I grew up with them. I know them, understand them very well. And, but the fact of the matter is, having said all that, that can't be the center of Jewish life. Can't be. It's not actually about that. The book of Exodus is about suffering, there's no doubt. Gairus, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's, the Ramban calls the book of Exodus the book of redemption. That's what's at the center. What's at the center of Jewish thought, at the core of it, Sefer HaGaula, it's no accident that the calendar <coughs> is rooted, so deeply rooted, in the book of Exodus. Book of Exodus is the, the two books of Exodus, I would say. There's the first part of Exodus, which is about physically leaving Egypt. It's one kind of Exodus. It's Pesach. And there's the second Exodus, which is spiritually leaving Exodus. The purpose of the Exodus was to dwell amongst us, and that's the festival of Yom Kippur and the festival of Sukkot. Hashem Hashem Kerachum V'chanun, because that makes it all possible. And then there's the actual building the Sukkah. You know, there's an old minute, by the way, to build the sukkah right after Yom Kippur. And what is in our own shvut, there's so much noise. Everybody's building, everybody has a sukkah there. Beautiful minute, you know what I mean? City, you don't see it. But right after Yom Kippur, my grandmother used to say, what is a righteous person who, who says Kiddush Levana right after Yom Kippur? Instead of running, you know, Kiddush Levana, you say. But I would say Kiddush Levana is one thing, the sukkah. The idea that right after Yom Kippur we're building the sukkah, it's an old custom. Very important custom. So that's what that's what it's that's something so important, you know, that the book is the the book of 
what at the center is, is, is redemption. The suffering is important to remember and it shapes us actually. We construct a just society because we know what it means to suffer. We aspire to a just society. But that's Sefer HaGa'ula, that's the Rambad. Anyway, my point is that the drush, that, suk, that the sukkah is the mishkan, it may be a drush in one sense that Kibasukoto Shafti probably doesn't mean the mishkan. But the idea that what the sukkah represents is the end point, the goal for all the holidays, that's not a drush. That's simple pshat in the chumash. Simple. By simple, I don't mean to denigrate it. It's, it's awesome, but it's simple. It's so true. It's so correct. Let me make one other point about Sukkot. One other text. Of the, what, how much time do we have here? Fifteen minutes? Okay. Let me say something else about Sukkot, which is a text from this week's Parsha. This week's Parsha is Vayelech, and we mentioned Sukkot. A different mitzvah. Kohakel. Of gathering... <laughs> Akilat Am, chapter 30, 31. Something else about Sukkot that's very interesting. Torah says that every seven years, literally at the end of the seven years, the rabbinic understanding is it's, it's the Sukkot after the seven years. Okay, it doesn't matter for our purposes right now. Torah says in the fest time of Shemitah, when all of Israel comes, to the place that God has chosen. You shall read the Torah in the presence of all of Israel, men, women, children, and they should hear and, and understand and fear, etc. It's the mitzvah that is found in the Gemara. It's called Hakel, the mitzvah of Hakel. The Mishnah already have Hakel. So what is this mitzvah? The mitzvah is called Hakel Etaam, so hakel, the term hakel, is a term that appears in various contexts, and one of them is the context of Matan Torah. When the book of Devarim recalls for us the giving of the Torah, the experience of standing at Sinai, that experience, it's very interesting how the Torah describes it. That day when we received the Torah, the Torah in Devarim calls it Yom HaKahal, the day of the congregation, Kahal. And several times the term appears in, earlier in Sefer Dvarim about receiving the Torah, the day, of, the day of the Kahal, the day of the community. And here the Torah instructs us, Hakel Ta'am, which is why the Rambam, among others, understood the mitzvah of Hakel as a mitzvah in which we are re-experiencing the receiving of the Torah. That's how the Rambam actually understood it. Right, it is, that's right, it is, that's correct. That is, that's correct. That's a good point, actually. There is the opposite. There is there. Could be so. It could be elevating the word, or it could be in, in, in the re- reaction to. Exactly. Instead of gathering together for an ego, Let's gather everybody together. There also the emphasis was on the women as well. Take to take the women, right? According to the marriage, the women are actually resisting. They're not getting involved. But the but the pshat is, you know. So here, the Rambam understood 
It's interesting. The Ram understood that the mitzvah of Hakel every seven years on the festival of Sukkot is to re-experience, re-experience receiving the Torah. It's interesting that in, 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 in Kriyat HaTorah, in general, we read the Torah every week, several times a week. There are two basic opinions about Kriyat HaTorah. One opinion about Kriyat HaTorah is that fundamentally it's the mitzvah of, of, uh, of, of Talmud Torah. It's kind of community learning. That was even more clear in the, in the olden times when they had somebody translating, a called Meturgaman. They'd have Targum. They'd read the Torah. They didn't have the books. They would have a, somebody actually translating. And you had also in ancient Israel, you had on Shabbat, someone would give a drasha. Not like today's a drasha. A drasha would be to actually explain, to expound the text. And not only that, in ancient Israel, they had the Python. The Python would take the Torah reading and incorporate the Torah reading into the, uh, into the davening. Some today think not only incorporating into the davening, but actually replacing the davening. That's the common theory in most academics. That actually was largely a replacement for. We don't have too many piyutim. Rosh Hashanah and Kippur we have, actually. And you see sometimes the words of the Torah and the Haftorah in the davening. That's the Torah reading. So, so in other words, the idea that the Torah reading of every day, especially Shabbat and the Chagim, are an exercise in, in, in community coming to study together. That's one view of the Torah reading. And there's another view of the Torah reading, which is it's not about study. It's not really about understanding. But the Torah reading is about experience. That we're reading the Torah as a community, to re-experience Sinai. That the Torah is the experience of Sinai as opposed to the study. I believe Rabbi Salavashik once suggested, I've talked about that a lot, by the way, this is a t- one of his favorite topics. He had a lot of favorite topics, but he talked about the two customs about reading the Torah. I don't know what your customs are, but there are two different customs in Kriya Satorah. In most communities around here, the prevalent custom is to sit down when they read the Torah. But there is another ancient custom, and many people do it, to stand during Kriyat HaTorah. Right. There's also two customs, by the way, on the holiday, say, when you read the Ten Commandments. There's a custom to sit, to sit in the Rambam, believed in sitting, during, and there's a custom to stand. And what is that about, the custom to sit or to stand? So it's like this. If you see it essentially as, a, as an exercise in study, then you should sit down. You're studying something, you don't stand up. Because you want to think about it, your sitting position is a position for, for study. But when it comes to experience, right? The other Torah says the people stood. Explicit. Right? So the people were standing. If we want to re-experience Sinai, then we stand. Hakel could be the one. It's, uh, the Ramam emphasized the re-experience of Sinai. Sinai is an event that happened once in time. We don't want to lose that event. So we want to re-experience it. So when do we do that? Every seven years, everybody got, everybody's gathering together. When is everybody, when are most people in one place? Says the Torah, B'chagah Sukkot. On the festival of Sukkot, everybody's in one place. 
that we have a kahal. The Chumash says, for example, when the Moshe was commanded to sound the trumpets, when you, when you gather people together, the whole community, then the sound you make is the tzikia. So that's the holiday of Sukkot. So I would say two things. First of all, let me say two things and conclude a little session about Sukkot. One is that the is that actually interesting in Israel, by the way, there are some people who want to bring Hakel back. There's a whole movement to bring Hakel back, and of course, inevitably, there are those who are very concerned, terrible thing, after you do it. My attitude to the Hakel was what Rabbi Lukstein once said about saying Hilo on Yom Hatzmut with a bracha. His point was, I don't think the problem in the United States of America is that Jews are saying too many brachas. That was his sage comment, I think. You could all agree. That's not our problem. You know what I mean? So, how could you? my point is, what is lost? People going to Jerusalem and, 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 and reading the Torah. What could be bad about that? I, I can't, I don't get it. In any event, there is this idea of reconstituting Hakel or whatever. But I want to say something else about Hakel. We all think of the festival of receiving the Torah is actually Shavuot. Of course, the Chumash never says a word about it. In the Chumash, there's not a word about Shavuot and, and receiving the Torah. Maybe hints, third month, who knows. But explicitly in the Chumash, it never says a word about Shavuot and, and, and Matan Torah. I can make a case for it, but it's not explicit, certainly in the Chumash. The only festival that the Torah speaks about, Torah, is the holiday of Sukkot. Hakel every seven years. But you see, when we have, the Jewish people have a practice, it's always rooted in something. Typically. Sometimes it's not. But 99% of the time, it's, it's something real. Consciously or unconsciously, it's hard to say. The Jews invented a new holiday which the Torah not, doesn't know from at all. It's called Simchas Torah. Hmm. Simchas Torah doesn't exist. Simchas Torah is made up. What is Simchas Torah? Simchas Torah is in Chutzlaretz, so we also have, always have an extra day because we're not sure what the day is. So Shmini Yatzeret is the eighth day, so we keep two days of Shmini Yatzeret. But in Chutzlaretz, we gave it a name for the second day Shmini Yatzeret. Second day Yantav, it has no names. Right? But the second day of Shmini Yatzeret has an own name, Simchas Torah. It's a holiday we celebrate. Where is that coming from? Simchas Torah. What is that about? And we are completing the Torah, actually. We complete the Torah and we start the Torah again. We, everybody knows that in the ancient Israel, the Torah was completed twice in seven years. So they didn't complete the Torah on Shemini Yatzeret, obviously. You can't work it out that way. So it didn't work that way. Most, most Shemini Yatzeret, who knows where they were? The middle of Ayikra? I don't know. It was, some, it, it was different all the time. But in Babel, they completed reading the Torah every year. So then, and when? It's such a strange custom, because we always read the Torah on Shabbat, except for one week. The Torah reading is always Shabbos. The only time we accept, I mean, the, the Torah, I mean, we read on Yantav too, I mean, the Torah reading of, of continuing the Torah. In the completing the Torah, Allah Seder. Allah Seder, that's on Shabbos, of course. With one exception, the last parsha. The last parsha is read not on, not on Shabbos. 
It's read on Shemini Yatzeret. What is Shemini Yatzeret? Shemini Yatzeret is a holiday by itself, but it basically it, it, is, it is Sukkot. Shemini Yatzeret is not it's just a separate holiday. It's separate for certain purposes, but it's basically Sukkot. So where is this coming from? It's coming from the Chumash itself. Because the Chumash says that every seven years in, in remembering and reenacting Sinai, when do we do this? We do it on Sukkot. So we are actually, in a way, maintaining that tradition. Maintaining, not through Hakel, but in a different way. We are saying that Sukkot is the festival of Torah, and we are completing the Torah, which means we are reminding ourselves of the whole Torah, because we complete, and we have the beginning and the end. So we have, in a sense, everything in between. The Chatan Torah is somebody who has completed the Torah. It's very powerful to get up and complete the Torah. So that's the holiday of Sukkot. And I would say the idea of Simchat Torah is very interesting because there's something else in the Chumash about Sukkot. In Simcha and the Chumash, rabbinically, the three festivals are the days of Simcha. Pesach, Shavuot, Sukkot, what we call the Shalosh Regolim. Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, is a question. In our service, in our liturgy, we don't say Simcha on Rosh Hashanah. But Titenu Alu Hashem Biava Yom Trua Yom Asikon as a Yom Trua Mikra Kodesh Zeichu Itziat Mitzrayim. We say Ashkedat and don't say Simcha. On Yontiv we say Simcha, right? Moadim Musimcha, Moadim Musimcha. We don't have on Rosh Hashanah. Pesach Shavuot Sukkot. In the Chumash, only two holidays have Simcha. Pesach never says Simcha in the Chumash because it's the beginning. See, you can't. Simcha is not the beginning. Simcha is the culmination. The festivals that the Tchumish mentions Simcha are Shavuot and Sukkot. But even there the Torah distinguishes between Shavuot and Sukkot. When it comes to Sukkot, says the Tchumish, There's something about Sukkot that's different. Why is that so? Because Two reasons. First of all, because more than any other day, Sukkot is what the Tchumish calls Chaka Asif, the time of the gathering in. It refers to the harvest, but it's the last holiday. It's the, real, it's the holiday of, of, of completion. And there's something else about the Simcha of Sukkot, which is what the Chumash says in Hakel, in this week's parsha. The Chumash describes Sukkot as Bivokol Yisrael, when all the Jews gather together. The idea of everybody coming together is a great Simcha. Usually it doesn't happen. But the idea of the Migdash, the idea of the temple was the central location, even though we're a tribal society, but we had this public space and everybody gathering together, that's the that's the gathering together, that's the, that's the idea of the of the of the uh, of the kahal. So this is we are recalling this these verses on the day we call Simchat Torah which on one hand is saying that the festival of Sukkot and the last day of Sukkot, everything's coming to an end. The cycle comes to an end and we are remembering what the Chumash says about every seven years, not forgetting Sinai, reenacting Sinai, and we are bringing everybody together. That's the custom, actually, I believe. All the customs, you see a custom, people dismiss it as if it's a custom for hundreds of years, it's saying something. That's the custom to call the children up for the last Aliyah. Call on the Arim, next to the last Aliyah. Gercha, right, everybody has to be included. 
That's the custom to call up the children. You should also call up the women. That's, that's another conversation. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but everybody, everybody, to include everybody in the Torah. It's everybody's Torah. So therefore, that's the idea we call Simcha Torah. So it plays off both the idea of Simcha, of Sukkot, as the ultimate Simcha, but it also plays off Sukkot as the only festival in the Chumash which speaks about Matan Torah. So these were some of the thoughts about Sukkot, a few thoughts about Sukkot that I think emerged from the biblical text. In terms of the rule of the Etrog, we began with that. The idea of Sukkot as the Mishkan, connected to the Mishkan, and then the idea of Sukkot as a day of, a day of Matan Torah.